0: Well, again, last week, we had the privilege of looking at just one of those most powerful and beautiful passages in the New Testament in all the scriptures. And, of course, this whole chapter is a mountaintop chapter in the in the Bible. But the way it explodes out of the gate, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus is just so glorious and sets the tone for what is a magnificent uh, a magnificent chapter and I hope that it encouraged you uh, throughout the week to reflect on I hope that the words echo in your head and are there for you when the voice of the accuser comes and pokes his finger in the in the wounds of your regretful sins uh that that you have committed in in the wounds of your conscience uh, the memories that we have of, of lives lived and even in the moment when we sin Uh, And our hearts are broken by it. And once again, we say with Paul, why am I doing or why did I do uh, this? Why did I fall into that trap again? Uh, I hope that the words of Romans 8, 1 uh, come and encourage you uh, that there is, in fact, no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. And you don't need me to say it. That this is never to be taken as license. It's not as if it's a get out of jail free card that somehow liberates me to <clears throat> indulge in sin. And, and I think the, the passage Mark just read in, in Romans 6 just gets at that so beautifully. It's like, no, that's that's not what we do. We do not sin that grace may abound. Uh, though in fact we were once slaves to sin, we are freed from that, but we're freed unto righteousness. And I don't need to tell you that because you know it. But I really do hope that Romans 8 1 is just a great encouragement to you as we think about it this morning and maybe review as we come now, because, again, we've jumped in our second text in Romans 8 today. As we think about the therefores of the resurrection, right, The, the what it means now to be alive in Christ, um, we took this first chunk uh, of verses 1 through 11 and we split it because verses 1 through 4 just required that it's its own attention. Um, And so we pick up today in verse 5, but again, going back and feeling the flow of verses 1 through 4 is crucial. Paul declares there is no condemnation now for us who are in Christ Jesus. Not only will there not be on the day of judgment, it is ours now. We can rejoice in that justification now. But it's not universal. It is for a subset, if you will, of humanity. What is the set that can rejoice in the good news that there is therefore now no condemnation? It is those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the qualifying thing. This is the, the big question. This is the really only question that matters in your life is this question: Am I in Christ Jesus? For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus and that you've got to just take that language into you, this being in Christ, that is we are so united to him that we are hidden in him. The Bible uses the language often of clothing. Clothe yourselves, Paul says at the end of this book in Romans chapter 13. Clothe yourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are robed in his righteousness. All this language of being hidden in him, clothed in him, covered by him. That language, Paul says in, in Ephesians 1, In Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's all ours, but it's ours in Christ. So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And what is the identifying mark of being in Christ, according to Paul? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That is, the walk. That we live is not what puts us in Christ, but the walk that we live using that language of walking one's life, one's Christian walk. We, we even use this language in evangelicalism. Uh, this idea of our Christian walk is the fruit of our union with Christ. It is the evidence of our union with Christ. How are you walking? We can look at our walk. We can look at the patterns of our life. And they do bear witness. They give evidences of where we are. Who are we united to? And the Bible really says you're united to one or the other. You are either united to Christ, as we're talking about here. You are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Or the Bible says you are in Adam. And that's a couple chapters before this in Romans chapter 5. All of us are born in Adam. We are united to him. The language we use in theology is he is our federal head. That is, he is our representative head. As goes Adam, so goes all humanity. We are all in him. When when Adam is in the Garden of Eden, you are there in him. And when he sins, the consequences of that sin come to all who are in him, to all who are united to Adam. And we are all united to Adam as our relationship, as man. But by the gift of God in the spirit, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a new federal head, namely Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And if we are in the spirit, if we have the gift of the spirit, then we have been united by faith to him, a new federal head. And now all that is true of him is true of us. And that that union with Adam has been broken and separated. And how do you distinguish, well, our walk, our lives, our fruit, using another metaphor, one that we've used very often. James, in James chapter 2, picks up on this image when he says, You say you have faith, but I will show you my faith by my works. My works don't unite me to Christ. My works don't earn my salvation. But what my works do, the evidence of my life, the fruit of this tree, is they bear witness to what kind of tree I am. If I bear thorns, I'm a thorn tree. If I bear figs, I'm a fig tree. And maybe we have to wait to see what fruit is being born here. But if we are in Christ, we will bear the fruit of Christ. If we have the spirit, we will bear the fruit of the spirit. We will walk in the spirit. And if we are not, we will continue to walk in Adam. And the works that we bear will be the works of darkness, self-gratification, sin. That will be the fruit of our lives. It will be what our walk looks like. It will give evidence to who we are united to. But Paul is writing this to believers. He's writing it to you. He's not writing this to put doubt and question in your head. He's writing this to encourage you. You are the ones who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So that's how they're recognized. Then Paul went on to tell us why there's no condemnation. Here's why there's no condemnation. Because all that was against you has been taken by Christ. In Christ, God has condemned sin in the flesh. The condemnation that you deserve has not just been forgotten. It's not just been let go. okay, you know what? I won't worry about it. It wasn't that big a deal anyway. No, no, no. God is just. And your condemnation does need to be dealt with. And what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is it has been dealt with. Sin has been condemned in the flesh. In our flesh, by our representative head, Jesus Christ came in the form, the likeness of sinful flesh. He came looking just like me. He came as a true, genuine man. And as a man, he bore all of our condemnation so that God can be just. Sin has been punished upon man. But it's God as man who has taken it for us. And that the righteous requirement of the law might be kept. All that the law demands of you has been kept for you. And all the judgment that you have accrued has been taken by him. In this beautiful transfer of the gospel. And Paul concludes, and now we'll transition into our text this morning. And I'll continue on and read it. But verse 4, our text ended last week again by returning us to this theme Of being walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Paul is clearly drawing our attention to this dramatic and absolute contrast. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And now our text for this morning, verses 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, carnal means flesh, fleshly, to be fleshly minded is death. And to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, I failed to give the title for the uh, the sermon today, but the, the title that I have for it is Life and Death. Just life and death. We need to feel the starkness today of the contrast that is provided to us. The contrast that Paul is laying out, we know, is walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. But underneath that, the real contrast is life or death. And it's binary, it's either that. Or that, you know, there's that great moment in Princess Bride when they, they come in and they're, they're trying to they're, they're trying to break down the masked man. I don't know if you know the Princess Bride, you know, and finally the friends come and they find him there and they say, oh no, he's dead. And then the stoogie for Prince Humperdinck comes out and he says, no, 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 he's not dead. He's just mostly dead. <laughs> he's mostly dead. We've broken him to the point where he's mostly dead. Um, and that's nice in the movie and they're able to save the man. Oh, spoiler alert. Uh, they, they saved him. But there is no such concept. You are either dead or you're alive. Life and death is binary. It's either the switch is either on or it's off. There's no mostly on or mostly off. It's either life or death. And the contrast of this passage is telling us there's either walking in the spirit or there's walking in the flesh. There's not, well, I'm, I'm in the flesh today, I'm in the spirit tomorrow, or I'm, I'm walking with feet in two worlds, or no. All of us gathered in this room, all of us viewing are, one. everyone driving up and down the street out here is either alive or dead, spiritually speaking. They're either walking in the flesh or they're walking in the spirit. It is absolute and it is binary. And we read again in Romans 6 today that if we're in Christ, then our old man has been crucified with him. He is, she is dead. If we're in Christ, the old man is dead. Now, granted, as we've already confessed, and as Paul confesses in Romans 7, even this new man in Christ is not yet fully glorified, and therefore we live with certain inconsistencies. As as we confess, we do sometimes look back to Egypt. But either we're God's slaves or Pharaoh's slaves. It's binary. God delivered them from Egypt. They are now God's servants, and they're in the wilderness. It's one or the other. And yet, even as God's slaves, servants of righteousness and joy, they look over their shoulders every now and then. They look back and we confess this inconsistency. It's stupid, frankly. It's ridiculous. Why would we do this? But that's that's the grievous nature of sin. But that's not my old man. In that sense, he is dead. And yes, I do from time to time try to resuscitate him. But he is dead. Indeed, no life, if I am in Christ, no life can come back to him. We are either in Christ or in Adam. We are either walking in the flesh or we are walking in the spirit. We are either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. And Paul tells us in Romans 3 that by nature we are all spiritually dead. In Ephesians 2, if you'd like to go read that, Paul makes the point and drives it home very clearly. That we are all by nature dead in our sins and trespasses. But, verse 4, God who is rich in mercy made us alive together with Christ. We were dead, but in Christ and by the Spirit, we are alive. Now, what is this walk? This walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit? Paul, tell us more. Wait, what what are we to look for? What is the distinguishing mark of walking in the flesh or walking in the Spirit? He tells us in verse 5, and we we directed our attention to this last week even, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Okay, so now Paul is giving us the defining marks of what it looks like to walk in the flesh. What does that even mean? To walk in the flesh. What does he mean by flesh? And and this is where reading your Bible does take effort. and it It takes concentration and understanding the use of words because flesh on the one hand can mean this. It can mean my embodied state. And as Christians, we do not believe that our embodied state is a bad thing, that we should not care about physical things. We should not care about things of the flesh in that sense. No, as Christians, we believe these are very important. The body is important. The body is good. The things of the body are good, fading, but good. Is that what Paul means by flesh here? It is not. Here, Paul is using the word flesh to represent the sinful nature, right? When he talks about walking in the flesh that way, he means in this carnality, in this base depravity, in spiritual death, that's what he means by flesh in this case. And what does it look like to walk in carnality? What does it look like to walk in depravity? Paul tells us, it is to set your minds on things of the flesh. And that's a great test, a great thing for us to think about. So I ask you the question, what is your mind fixed upon? What is your mind, what is the direction and the orientation of your mind? What does your mind tend to be filled with? Where does your mind tend to go when it is allowed to be idle? What takes up the the work and the effort of your mind and even of your imagination. Now, of course, Paul does not mean, oh, if you walk in the spirit, you never think about things of this world. That is not, of course, that's not true. But what I love in verse five, for those who live according to the spirit, set their minds. They're fixed there, right? It's the antithesis of Hebrews chapter 12, where Paul says, let us run the race with endurance. Fixing our eyes on Christ Jesus. We, we've confessed already. Our eyes wander, right? We tend to look back to Egypt every now and then, right? We do this. We know this. We confess it Sunday after Sunday. Yeah, but are your minds fixed on Egypt? Are the longings of your affections set on Egypt? Is, is what inflames your heart the promises of Egypt? The things of this world, the fleeting pleasures of this world, the honors of this world. Not that we don't think about them. Sometimes we have to think about them to be faithful Christians. But are our minds set there? Are our eyes fixed there? I can't look away. It's the ambition of my heart. These are the things I'm striving after. These are the things I must protect. These are the things I must have. Again, I, I, I was humbled, and I, I I think I share with you, but I know I shared with my faculty the other day, that in a conversation I had with uh, Mr. Kumazinsky, the man who we were praying for with the two brain tumors, and there's a tumor in, in by his esophagus, he can't really swallow. so he's getting treatment mm-hmm. for that. And when they were deciding what to do in treatments and asking for prayer, John said well, I remember I was on speaker, and Christina was sitting with me. We we're in the car, and, and John said, "Bill." Now, this is a man right in the face of it. Now, this is not me sending it from the pulpit, feeling fine. This is him in the midst of it. And he said, Bill, I don't know why people feel that they have to scratch and claw, do anything just to stay on this earth a few more days, a few more weeks, a few more years. I'm not afraid to go to glory. I'm ready to go. And I'm just, I was just so humble because they had just gotten this news. And I look over at Christina and she's just, you know, she's bawling to hear somebody in the face of death talk like that with such confidence. I have no doubt where John's mind is set. The ambition of his heart is not one more day Lord, but just give me more time Lord, But I just wanna see this Lord, please don't take me before I get to do this Lord, which is what's natural. I don't know if it's natural for you, but I know I have these inclinations. And and here's John is like, as much as these things are good and I thank God for them, I, my mind is set there. Oh man, I was so humbled. Where is your heart set? Fixed? Again, acknowledging inconsistencies. But where are, are they fixed? Paul says in in uh, Philippians chapter three, when he's talking about these, these, you know, the 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 fact of where our citizenship is. Listen to what he says here, brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. Many walk of whom I have told you often and now even with weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So let me me describe these enemies of the cross of Christ. And don't forget, Paul has said in, in our text this morning that those who walk according to the flesh are at enmity with God. They're hostile to the things of God. So here Paul describes them to the Philippians. These are those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Their God is their belly. That is, their God, what drives them, what they're serving are the appetites of their flesh. Not literally just food, but perhaps food. But all the earthly pleasures that are put before us, what drives them is their belly, their, their gut lusts and desires, their gluttonous desires whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, and here, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself Paul describes the enemies of the cross of Christ as those who set their minds not who think about who set their minds on earthly things this is what this is what they care about above everything else. it's the Babylonites, if we can call them that let us for ourselves we've got to preserve this So we build big walls and we build big towers and we make a name for ourselves. And lest we be destroyed, we keep those out. Forget the commandment. Forget the call to go subdue the earth for the glory of God. No, we're going to gather. We're going to turn inward. We're going to push out. We're going to preserve what we have. That's walking according to the flesh. It's Esau who would trade his birthright for a bowl of soup. Right? Is God is his belly. I'll give it all away. But you just have this, right? It's the prodigal son who will abandon the father so he can have the money and go indulge his lusts. It's Saul, who faced with the commandments of God to do a difficult thing, decides rather to cut off some for himself, to, to use his wisdom and save these and spare those and gather some treasure for himself. It's Peter, who Jesus says blatantly to him when he comes and tells him in Matthew 16 what he's going to do as the king, as the Christ. I will be arrested. I'm going to suffer and die. But three days again, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And Peter says, no, it will not be. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan, what? You have the things of man in mind. See, Peter, you have set your mind on the things of man. You are judging the world through the lenses of man. This is what matters to you. What matters to you is earthly power. What matters to you is getting this kingdom back. What what matters to you is gathering yours and casting out. You don't have the things of God in mind. You're not seeing things through the vision of the kingdom. You're walking according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. So, what does it mean to walk according to the flesh? It means to set your mind on things of the flesh, as opposed to walking in the spirit and setting our minds on things of the spirit. Think of the blessed man in Psalm one. What does he do all day? This blessed man, you know what he does. He sets his mind on the word of God. He meditates on it day and night, and his soul delights in it. And he, is like a tree. She is like a tree planted by streams of living water that bears its fruit in due season. His or her mind is on the things of the spirit. That's where again, that's where it's fixed. Now, again, remember, you gotta read Romans 8 in light of all the rest of Romans, and Paul acknowledges the inconsistencies. And what we've got to ask is again, where is where are the affections of our heart anchor? tethered set do you love the things of god that's what we have to ask that's what it's calling us to and paul assumes it's the case for these people paul assumes it's the case for you right but this you are not in the flesh verse nine right again he's not doing this to say so which one are you You know but he is writing it to keep that stark contrast before us so what does it mean to walk in the spirit We set our minds, verse six. For to be carnally minded, that is to have a mind of the flesh, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Anchor yourself to this world. Let your God be your belly. Set your minds on things of the earth and it will consume you. It is death. We know as as. There's while there's still goodness in this world, and in this world, I mean, because God created it, the body is good, the things He's called me to do in this world are good, to care about you having food and clothes and shelter is good. But the reality is that this age is fleeting, it's passing away. And if I anchor my heart here and if I anchor my mind here, I'm anchoring my mind to that which is passing away that is, I'm anchoring it to death. We don't do it. That's what John Komazinski was saying. Why would I claw and cling? I don't know. Why do I? Why do I do it? It's a good old time John's saying, why would I do that? I'm thinking, yeah, well, why do I? To be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Genesis 11, let us for ourselves. It's enmity against God and ultimately it becomes enmity against the image of God. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. Here Paul returns us to what he says in Romans chapter 3. That the carnal mind, the carnal heart cannot please God. It can't because it doesn't want to. There is nothing in it that desires to Do you desire to please God? Rejoice in that. Does obedience to God, is is obedience to God grievous to you and burdensome to you? Or is obedience to God while you struggle to do it a dream? A desire, an ambition to be pleasing to him and to honor him? Are we able to say with the psalmist, oh, how I delight in your law, even as we fail to keep it? Can we say? You think the psalmist kept it? The psalmist didn't keep it either. But he's able to say, "I do love it." It's a picture and display of your righteousness, and I love it. Desire to obey it. Created in me a clean heart. We just prayed in in Psalm fifty one. Is that your prayer? Created in me a clean heart, Lord, that I might be obedient, that I might please you. These are signs of life because. The carnal mind cannot do that. They will not do it. They cannot do it. As we said earlier, it is a self imposed, self inflicted bondage. And this is what Martin Luther wrote in his great treatise, The Bondage of the Will. The bondage of the will that non believers are in is not a bondage that is imposed upon them, it is a bondage that is self imposed. There is no desire for the things of God. And therefore, they will not and cannot turn to God or seek to please him. The carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you, but you are not in the flesh if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you and if indeed can also be translated sin. So he might very well be saying, But you are not in the flesh since the spirit of God dwells in you. He's confident. He is confident in his Roman brothers and sisters that he's writing to, that they are believers. But you are not in the flesh. The spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through the spirit that dwells in you. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, that is to be in Christ, that is to be In the spirit, to have Christ dwelling in you, that is to have the spirit dwelling in you, is life. And though your outer man is perishing, and it is perishing, the spirit is alive within you. You have life in you, though your outer man is perishing. Uh, First, uh, second Corinthians four. Right, though our our outer man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. Right, we have this treasure in jars of clay. My outer man's nothing to look out look at, but but inside me is the spirit of life, this amazing treasure of Christ that is alive within me. And Paul goes on to say, and on top of that, because you have the spirit of life in you, even the Perishing outward man is going to be renewed. That life is going to work itself out even through your mortal body. And we just celebrated that in the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. When this mortal will put on immortality and this corruptible will put on incorruption. Then shall it be written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? That's how powerful the life of the spirit is within you. Not only has he brought spiritual life to you, which he has because you are walking in the spirit. But brothers and sisters, he will bring resurrection life, not only to your soul, but to your body. That's the life. It is life in every way that we have when we have Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours in him. Physically, spiritually. All of it is ours in Christ and our bodies will come to life. This is the life that we have in Christ and in the spirit. So Paul lays a binary before us this morning, life and death, and there's no in between. We are either in Christ or we are in Adam. We are either therefore walking in the flesh or we are walking in the spirit. We either therefore have our mindset on things above, or on the things of the earth. We are either hostile toward God or we desire and seek to please him. This is the binary that we have before us. And brothers and sisters, you have the spirit of God dwelling in you. If you have the spirit, then you have Christ. If you have Christ, you have life in your souls and it will manifest itself in your resurrected body and if you have life then you have this declaration to you there is no condemnation for you now or forevermore it's either that or this and for us brothers and sisters it is christ and therefore it's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places let's pray Lord God, we have confessed, and we continue to confess our inconsistencies. We oftentimes drag around the corpse of the old man seeking to breathe life into him. we turn our eyes and look back to Egypt. But Father, we are yours. We confess today and profess today that we are those who have been redeemed from slavery to our sin. We are those who have been saved from making our bellies our God. We have been liberated from having our minds set on earthly things. We have been resurrected into new spiritual life. Though once we were dead in sins and trespasses, now we are alive together with Christ by your saving grace. And now we have the gift of your spirit and we thank you for that. And with the spirit, we are yours and we walk in the spirit. Oh Father, indeed, fix our mind on things above. Make us like the blessed man and someone who's. Heart and mind drink from the deep waters of your word and find in it joy. Who find in obedience and in your law a delight. Sever evermore our affections from the things of this world. And yet as long as you keep us in this world, make us faithful servants with all the gifts and resources that you have given to us that we might honor and glorify your name that we might love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves and do it all with our eyes set upon that heavenly inheritance that is secured and reserved, untouchable for us in the heavenly places. Fill our hearts with joy in that today we pray for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.